music team and to the often unsung heroes uh, in the back of the booth there, the AV team, so that we can actually hear the music team. Uh, we are spending uh, our, our summer in the Psalms. That's the series we're looking at this summer. Psalms is the, the prayer book of the Bible. Hopefully, uh, it's a book that you're familiar with, but if not, I hope that, uh, that you become familiar with it this summer. Uh, pastor and theologian John Calvin uh, calls the Psalms the, uh, he calls it an anatomy of every part of the soul uh, because it deals with every emotion that we feel. Are you struggling? Psalms has some prayers for that. Are you fearful? There's a psalm about that. Are you happy? There are psalms about that. Spending time in the Psalms can help you learn how to express yourself to God. And so as we spend the summer looking at various Psalms, my encouragement to you is maybe to begin the habit, if you don't already, to read a Psalm a day. Maybe you start your morning, along with a cup of coffee, if necessary, uh, with reading a Psalm. Or maybe you read a Psalm before you go to bed in the evening, but uh, hopefully I hope that this series uh, compels you to make the Psalms uh, a good friend to you. Uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 19 this week. If, you're, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can grab uh, one of the black church Bibles there. It should be in the row in front of you. I noticed that uh, during Sunday school, some of those were empty. So if there's not one on your row, but you need one, then tap your neighbor on the shoulder and get theirs. Uh, I mean, don't take it from them, like, there should be enough to go around. But uh, if you're using that Bible, page 456 is where today's text can be found, Psalm 19. Uh, and we've begun doing something new here at Grace. It's uh, new to us, but actually it's an old practice. Uh, and it's standing while we read God's Word out of honor for His Word. So if you would, if you're able, please stand uh, as we hear God's Word read from Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. His rising is from the end of the heavens and his circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These are the words of the Lord. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word, our prayer is a prayer of verse 14. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I said that Psalms is a prayer book. It's also a song book. That's actually what the word psalm means. It's melody or song. Uh, And the, the subtitle there tells us that this psalm was written to the choir master. It was written by King David. So Uh, King David wrote this psalm to the music leader at the temple so that God's people could sing this psalm as they worshipped together. Uh, Which, just as an aside, gives uh, what I think is a fascinating view of biblical masculinity. Uh, Usually in America, uh, we don't put uh, manliness and singing together. Unless maybe we're talking about singing in bars or at concerts, right, or in a stadium, something like that. But, but when we're talking about worship music, singing and worship, usually that's not how we picture a manly man. And yet here's a man writing a song, writing a poem. Uh, this man, David, was a shepherd. He took care of livestock. He worked a farm. Uh, And so he knew how to sweat. Uh, He no doubt mended fences. Uh, He had calluses on his hands. And this man was also a warrior. He became a warrior. And he was a commander of other warriors. He led men into battle. He killed men. And not from a distance, but up close and personal with a sword anybody had a man card surely it was king david and what do we see this manliest of men doing we see him writing a poem in fact he wrote at least 73 of them we have in the psalms he wrote songs and we know that he sang songs we know that he played stringed instruments and so fellas it's okay to sing in church if If a man who could kill other men at the point of a sword could sing in church, brothers, you can sing in church. It's okay if your voice doesn't sound quite like what you think it ought to sound like. Uh, You can sing in church. It's not not unmanly to sing. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 19. Uh, There are several different kinds of psalms. Uh, This one is what's called a hymn, H-Y-M-N. It's a song of praise to God. There are several of them in the Psalms. And here, 
David praises God for revealing himself, for making himself known. And I, and I want you to notice the structure of the psalm. He moves from the general to the specific. Right? He begins on the outside and finishes on the inside. He begins by talking about creation and how it declares God's glory. And, and not just creation, but he actually begins with the most expansive part of creation, the, the skies. Right? You, can't, you can't get any bigger than that. And then he moves from there down to the inside, to the human heart. And as he makes that move, what David tells us is that as God reveals himself in nature and in his word, he's drawing us to worship him. That's the purpose of God's revealing himself. God, God doesn't just reveal himself just to do it. He does it so that we would speak back to him, so that we would glorify and honor and know him. And so here's how we're going to look at that progression. First, we're going to see that creation speaks. Then we're going to see that the Bible speaks better. And then finally, we'll see that we speak back. I was going to say talk back, but that doesn't quite sound very respectful. So we speak back to God. First, Creation speak. Creation speaks. Verse 1. The heavens declare God's glory. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The point is simple. Right? Creation declares God's glory. His majesty. His worth. His beauty. His splendor. Verse 2. David says that day to day pours out speech. The verb there is gushes out. Think of a, of a geyser exploding water from the, from the ground, and you have the, the, the picture here. Creation is exploding with God's glory. Have you ever wondered why a sunrise or a sunset or a majestic mountain or the Grand Canyon, why they have such power over us? Have you, ever, have you ever driven out, way out into the country, away from the city lights at nighttime and looked up at the sky when there were no other lights, nothing else to be seen, uh, and just seen the vast array of stars in the sky? It's magical. Why? Why does that captivate us so? Well, David tells us. Because the heavens are declaring the glory of God. They're reminding us. They're telling, they're telling us not of themselves. Right? The, the creation's aim is not to draw attention to itself. It's a channel that's meant to draw our attention to God. God's glory is revealed through the channels of creation. David says there's no speech. Creation isn't using words as we would understand them, but it is talking. And unlike human language, creation words, creation's words don't meet a language barrier. Look at verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. 
right? Creation speaks everywhere. It speaks just as well in Indonesia as it does in Guatemala. The heavens declare the glory of God all over the world. And everyone can see it and everyone can understand it. And then he gets even more specific. He talks about the sun, the mighty sun, which has been worshipped by so many different cultures. He says even the sun uh, has been set in its place by God. The heavens are, are merely a tent in which God has placed the sun for its dwelling. And it runs a course that is set for it by God. And so, right, creation isn't to be worshipped. Rather, it meant to point us to the one who is to be worshipped. The sun, the moon, the stars, trees, animals, humans throughout history have worshipped the creation. Paul tells us in Romans 1, the passage that Rich read for us this morning, that that's part of our fallen nature. That rather than acknowledge our creator, right, we, are, we are without excuse. When we look at the heavens... We cannot say there is no God. The creation does not leave us in doubt. His divine power and his glory can be clearly seen. And yet what you and I do, because of the fall and because of our sin natures and because we love to worship ourselves, is we, is we look at all of that and we turn inward. And we say, ah, you know what, I don't want to acknowledge the creator Let's worship what's created instead. I mean, that's part of the foolishness of what Isaiah says. He's like, guys, you're using the same piece of wood to cook your food and worship. You're worshiping the same thing. And you, and you made what you're like, you're you made it with your hands. How can you ask it for help? You helped bring it into existence. How can it help you? But we do it all the time. Right. Even in a. A secular, non-religious society. We worship, the we, we worship the creation rather than the creator. Why do you think animals, pets, are treated better than people? We're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. But those things, they don't contain their own glory. They don't contain their own light. They're simply channels that are meant to reflect the glory of their maker. I remember having a, a conversation with a gentleman in the gym one time who said that, and maybe you've said this, uh, I can worship God just as well in the deer stand. I, I, can, I can worship God just as well out on the lake. In fact, better. Right? I, I don't have the distraction of other people. Those pesky other people. Right? I can do it my way out in the deer stand or out on the lake. But what we see, what the Bible tells us, is that creation has its limits. That we cannot worship God just as well in silence on the top of a mountain. Because that is not where God is fully known. Where God fully reveals himself is not, as in, is not in creation, but in his word. Which is why we say that the Bible, yeah, creation speaks, but the Bible speaks better. This is the, the heart of the psalm. This is the, the reason that David is writing. 
He's writing to tell us that God's glory is revealed more fully in his word. And as we move from God's glory revealed in creation to how God works in his word, I want you to notice a change. Uh, In the first part of the psalm, David uses the generic name for God, translated in our Bibles, God. It's the Hebrew word El. But in verse 7, he shifts. And as he talks about how God reveals himself in the word, he uses God's personal name, his covenant name. In your Bibles, it's translated in all caps, the Lord. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is God's personal name. Creation speaks broadly, but if you want to know God personally, you must meet him in his word. And so David uses this avalanche of words to describe God's word. He uses, uh, he, he calls it, he says, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear. How does that one fit in there? Well, it's in God's word that we learn how to fear him, how we learn to revere him and honor him. His rules. And when David uses all these words, these are all parallel statements. Verses uh, 7 through 9 are are parallel statements. They're describing each other. It's like David is is taking a diamond and he's not describing several he's not describing several different things. He's describing one thing, but he's turning the diamond under the light so that we see different facets of it. He's showing us the manifold beauty of God's word. And when he talks about when he uses the word law, right, we've, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's the word Torah. It means instruction. And so uh, David's not just referring to the Ten Commandments. These are all words that refer to God's, all of God's word. His, his laws, yes, his commands, his promises, the gospel, right? David is talking about all of the, all of the parts of God's word, all that God says about himself, All that God says about you and me and how we live before him. That's what David is referring to. And he uses this avalanche of words to describe how that how God's word impacts us. Right. So he says the law of the Lord is perfect, blameless, reviving the soul. Just as the soul gives life to the body, so God's word gives life to the soul. He says it's sure. It's reliable. And it makes wise the simple. God's word can be trusted to lead us towards wisdom and away from folly. His word is right. means straight, not Crooked, and it rejoices the heart. It steers us towards true joy. His word is pure, much like you would have a, a pure gold. Uh, it's, there's no impurity in it, and so it enlightens our eyes. We are enabled to see clearly through God's word. The word of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. It's true and righteous all together. How much different is God's word than our words? 
When you think about all of the all of the perfections that God that, that David uses to describe God's words, put them next to your own. And the way that you used your words this week. The way that human speech is often used. How much better is God's speech? Right? Our, our words certainly have power. They can kill. They can give life. But our promises often go unkept. Our lies often lead people astray. We use our words to manipulate others for our own benefit. But God doesn't use his words that way. Even when God's word is hard for us to hear, even when it points out our guilt, it's still good. Do you see why God's word is so important? Do you see why you need it? Do you see why trying to live the Christian life without it is a fool's errand? That you, you can't really know God and you can't really know yourself if you don't listen to him speaking. Can you imagine being friends with someone that you didn't listen to? I don't imagine you'd be a very good friend. God has revealed himself in his word. He speaks, and we need to listen. Look how David describes it in verse 10. More to be desired are God's words than gold, even much fine gold. I mean, in God's words, we have a treasure that cannot be surpassed. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb... Do you see God's word in that way? Sweeter than the honeycomb? That's how David wants us to see it. And that's how we should pray that we would see it. That we would treasure God's word more than any other wealth we can accrue. If we have God's word, we have enough. That we would be satisfied with God's word more than the richest of foods. That it, would, that it would be sweet to us, that we would delight in it, and when we don't have it, that we would desire more of it. God reveals himself to us. He speaks in creation. He speaks in his word. How do we speak back? What does our speaking look like? Look at verse 11. David says, Moreover, also, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So David acknowledges the truth that in keeping God's words, in in heeding to and listening and obeying God's word, there is a great reward. And when we don't do that, we are warned. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that sentence, and I think it's and I think David does the same thing, when he as soon as he writes In keeping them, there is great reward. Then he goes, oh no. I have not kept them. I have not heeded them. I have not listened to them. I have not treasured them. Why do I think that? Why do I think David thinks that? Because of what he writes next. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So one way that we speak back to God's speaking to us is we repent. 
right? God's word in all of its perfections reveals our errors to us. It's like that mirror first thing in the morning, right? Before you got in the shower and shaved, right? It, I, we, we used to have, actually, we never had one of these. I think smartly we didn't have one of these. You may have one of these, ladies, like this makeup mirror that gives you like 200 times magnification so that you can see like every single pore on your face. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but right, it's that. It's that mirror that like gives you that real close-up look that you go, is that what I look like? My father-in-law used to tell my wife, and I confess because it's my father-in-law, I didn't say, I did not say this to my wife. This is what my father-in-law would say. Whenever she would say, that picture makes me look fat, he would say, honey, the camera's just showing what's there. Take it up with him the next time you see him, okay? Right? Uh, that's God's word reveals to us what's there. And how do we respond? We recognize we have a problem and we repent. Now I'm worried that either my wife or my father-in-law is going to correct me and say, that's, ex- that's not exactly how that went down. Okay, that's exactly how it went down. Okay. We repent. Right? We, we need the word to discern our errors. And then we run to him. David says, declare me innocent of hidden faults. The word here, uh, hidden faults, doesn't refer just to unintentional sins. It certainly can. But those things we don't even recognize to be sin because we do them so often. We run to God for mercy. David says, declare me innocent. This is a, this is a prayer for cleansing for forgiveness. It's an acknowledgement that we are guilty of hidden faults and we want to be, we need to be declared innocent of them. And then we ask him to protect us from ourselves. He says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Old, older translations say sinning with a high hand. Those moments when you know that what you're doing is absolutely wrong but you're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. I know nobody in here has ever done that. David says, keep me from doing that. Keep sin from having dominion over me, from ruling over me. Right? This is the acknowledgement, that old acknowledgement, apart from the grace of God, there go I. Right? David acknowledges, and we need to acknowledge that We cannot be successful in life without God's restraining grace. See, maybe you think, okay, well, spiritual maturity means that one day God's not going to have to hold me back as much as he used to. No, friend, it's quite the opposite. Spiritual maturity is not spiritual complacency. True spiritual maturity is actually growing in your dependence on God. Right. Spiritual maturity, you know, human maturity, physical maturity, we grow in independence, hopefully. Uh, Though, oddly enough, the older we get, we start being more dependent again. Right. But spiritual maturity is not growing in independence. It's actually growing in dependence. 
it's seeing more and more just how much I need God to keep my sin from having dominion over me. That's what David prays here. We never arrive at the place where we don't need God's help. And then we ask him to guide us going forward. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Keep me all the way down, Lord. Not just in what I say, but even in my desires. Even in what I mull over. Even in what I dwell on. And then he, he finishes with the gospel. And it's this last phrase that points us forward to Jesus. David calls the Lord my rock and my redeemer. My protector and my savior. You see, we, don't, we need a rock. We need a protector. Right? But we don't just need to be sheltered and secured. We also need to be rescued. We need to be rescued because of those hidden sins. Those sins we do so often that we don't even think they're sin. We need to be rescued from those. And those presumptuous sins. Those sins with a high hand. We need to be forgiven of those as well. See what the word reveals to us is that we are enslaved to sin. And we need someone to come and buy us out from our self-induced slavery. We need someone to rescue us. To pay our debt. And that someone is Jesus. He is our redeemer. He is the one who pays the price for us. A price that we cannot pay. And he pays it at the cost of his own life. We were talking uh, with my youngest son and I were talking this week. I forget what it was. Something I made the statement that nothing is free. There is no free lunch. I said, nothing is free except for the grace of God. And then I had to think about that again. I said, well, God's grace is free to me and you. But it is not free to God. He secures us at great cost to himself. And that's why he can be praised as our redeemer. And so, friend, this morning, do you know Jesus as your rock And your Redeemer. Do you trust Him? That's an invitation. Let me pray. Father in heaven, the next time that we sit on the porch and we watch your sun rise or set, as we watch fireflies light up a summer sky, Would you draw our hearts to you? But God, I pray that we would not stop there. That we would not stop at being simply drawn to you in the glory, your glory in creation. But that you would draw us into your word. That we would remember that creation does speak, but that your word speaks better. And that we would experience the things that David speaks of in this psalm. The reviving of soul, the rejoicing of heart, the making wise, the simple, the enlightening of eyes. Lord, would you, would you work those things 
in us as we read and listen to your word. And then, Lord, would you bring us to respond. Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know you. If there are those among us this morning who who don't know you as their rock and their redeemer, God, I pray this morning you would reveal their need to them. Their need of you, their need of a redeemer. And as we go uh, throughout the week, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We, play it, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.